John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of Christ. No noise. Thank you, Grace. Morning, everyone. Very good to see you. Very good to be with you. Uh, Great to sing with you. I always thought this hall would sound terrible with um, only 50 people in it, but must depend on the quality of the 50 people. So, sounded great this morning. Um, Thank you for coming along. I know it's it's still odd coming in this unusual way, and um, I I think you can look at the email, and it's about 18 pages long, and you can think, well, it's not really worth the hassle. So thank you for coming, and for those who've come an hour and a half earlier than normal, I I very much appreciate it. I still think it's um, just great that we can be able to gather, so thank you for being here. And I wanted to mention, normally on the third Sunday of the month, it's the... Sunday where we share the Lord's Supper together at St. Stephen's. We made the decision not to do it today. It would be tricky, I think, trying to do it over uh, multiple services, but also we thought there's something nice about waiting till we can do it all more together. And so um, we'll update you on that when we know a little bit more. Well, let me pray, and then, as Jeff said at the beginning of our time together this morning, we're going to think about the issue of doubt. Heavenly Father, we... um, We thank you for a lovely morning outside and we thank you for the joy and privilege it is to gather inside here together this morning. Uh, We're so um, pleased to be able to sing your praises in unison, to be able to come before your throne in prayer together and to now sit under your word. And we pray, Father, that as we look at a, a topic which I'm sure most of us have experienced in our Christian walk, this issue of doubt, we pray, Lord, that you would help us as we consider it. There may be some here this morning who are wrestling with it right now, Uh, Others may have it to come. Uh, Others may look back to periods in their life. But we're all going to be involved either in walking through this issue ourselves or supporting brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through it. So please be with us as we think on it this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, uh, the topic for today is, does doubt rule you out? Let that sink in. It's not just alliteration, it's poetry. 
Does doubt rule you out? That's the question behind the topic for today. As uh, Jeff said at the beginning, we've um, finished our last series in Esther. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting back in Matthew's Gospel where we got up to. But before that, we're doing two topical uh, sermons. And today is on the issue of doubt. Does doubt rule you out? And the question is not just poetic, it's supposed to be literal, because one of the difficulties that people experience with doubt is, does this mean I'm not a Christian? And I'm I'm very pleased to look at the topic because it's something that troubles many Christians. Our reading this morning that Grace brought to us has, I think, the world's most famous doubter, Thomas. Poor Thomas. Poor Thomas. He makes one of the best professions of faith anywhere in the Scriptures. We heard Grace say, he says, my Lord and my God to Jesus. He, He seems to understand better who Jesus is than anyone else. No one ever remembers him for it. They only remember him for one thing. Thomas, that doubter. Uh, Doubt affects not just Thomas, though, but many of us. Doubt is serious. And as I said before, as soon as we start experiencing doubt as Christians, we start wondering about our relationship with God. Is there something wrong with me if I doubt? Doubt, we know almost automatically, seems to be the opposite of faith. Faith is what Christians are supposed to have, so if I'm doubting, am I not a Christian? Can God love me? If I'm doubting and I've got questions, does doubt rule me out? So it's a good topic to look at, uh, but just before we get into it, two preliminary comments I wanted to make. I did some reading during the, um, uh, the week and I found a couple of things which were helpful and I wanted to recommend them to you if you want to think a bit further and you may see some of the thinking in my talk. <coughs> Vaughan Roberts has got a book called Battles Christian Face and he's got a chapter on doubt. I thought that was good. I was speaking to my family on Zoom earlier this week because I was away for the week and I said I was speaking on doubt and Laura said, oh, I've got a book on doubt. She did. So here it is. It was very good. So how can I be sure by John Stevens? These are two books I can recommend um, for you if you're wrestling with this issue. And I'm recommending them because the second preliminary comment I want to make is we're barely scratching the surface today. It's one of the, um, uh, the things I feel bad about today. Doubt is such a a big topic and it's so personal to each of us. I can only give a kind of broad overview this morning. And I know I'm just scratching the surface and it may feel unsatisfying. So if you would like to think more on it, then come and see me, read one of the books. There's lots of good resources out there, but um, don't think we're covering it all today. We're not. Having said that, I've got five points this morning. Five. Settle in. No, they're pretty short. And they're points of different lengths and different importance, but I wanted to touch on each of them. And the first is this, the loneliness of doubt. The loneliness of doubt. One of the things that makes doubt such a particularly difficult and destructive affliction is that often it's one that's suffered in silence. No one else knows we're going through it when we struggle. We don't often admit, as Christians, to other Christians, that we're having doubts. And so what happens is that as we go through these significant wrestles and significant problems, we, we think no one else is going through it because they don't talk about it, and no one else knows we're going through it to help us because we don't admit it. And we kind of get trapped in our own thinking. I don't think anyone else wrestles with these kind of questions. I don't think anyone else has these sorts of concerns. They have faith. I can see it in them. They've got rock-solid assurance. I have doubt. There must be something wrong with me. I must be broken or not really a Christian. That's how the thinking can go. There can be a kind of inherent loneliness associated with doubt. 
It's true, and I wanted to mention it at the front because I hope that here as a church family at St. Stephen's, we can be a bit more open about it. When we're struggling with it, we can talk about it, and when we know others are, we can share with them and encourage them. Uh, So that's the first one, the loneliness of doubt. Uh, We shouldn't be lonely, though, because of our second point, the reality of doubt. The reality of doubt. It's a shame so many of us wrestle with this alone and lonely because the truth is all of us struggle with it at some stage of life or at multiple stages of life. I think Jeff, when he introduced the service this morning, acknowledged that. If you've been a Christian here this morning, any amount of time at all in your life, you will have had doubts. Now, sometimes just quiet and small and nagging, but other times screaming at you in a way that you cannot ignore. But you will have had them. And that shouldn't surprise us, because anyone who knows the Bible knows that we see the people of God wrestling with doubt all the way through it. And it's not just those who weren't very good people of God. We see the greats in the scriptures wrestling with it. Even those who had close relationships with the Lord, those who received special revelation and had special communication from God, had time in their lives when they doubted. In the New Testament, the person from the Old Testament who is held up as the example of faith, and faith is kind of the opposite from doubt, although I'll speak about that in a moment. But faith, the person who's held up as the example of faith is who? Abraham. And yet it's clear when you read through Genesis and you read about the life of Abraham, he doubted. And he doubted in significant ways with significant consequences. If you remember his life, twice he lied and passed his wife off as his sister because he doubted that God would look after him and fulfill his promises and his wife suffered hugely as a result. He had a son Ishmael with Hagar because he doubted the promises of God. Abraham is seen as the man of faith and yet Abraham is clearly someone who wrestled with doubts in his life. In Hebrews chapter 11 There's a chapter on faith and there's kind of an Old Testament roll call of honour of those in the Old Testament who were great people of faith. Most people get one verse about them. Uh, Abraham gets the most because he's the man of faith, he gets 12, but the second most is Moses. Moses, the great leader of God's people who brought God's people out of slavery in Egypt. But Moses too doubted. He didn't trust God enough to go to Pharaoh without arguing with God about it. Do you remember that? God's saying, go, Moses, and Moses says, well, I'm not not very good at speaking to people and I I don't really want to. And in the end, he goes, please send someone else. He doubted even while he was speaking to God. When things got tricky for Moses, he wanted to give up because he doubted. We could talk about Job. We could talk about David. How long, O Lord? Here's the king of God's people still asking questions because he's got doubts in his mind, all the way up to Thomas and the disciples who clearly doubted. There is no question, everyone doubts. So we've got the loneliness of doubt. We've got the reality of doubt. Thirdly, the problem of doubt. What is doubt and how dangerous is it? What is it? How dangerous is it? And it's a little tricky here because... The Bible doesn't always give neat categories and definitions, and we use language in different ways and have different words. But I think this is my best attempt at trying to explain this. I think of doubt in between faith and unbelief. So I want to say in a moment uh, that doubt is not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is unbelief, and there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Now, if you've got faith, unbelief, 
Doubt is somewhere in the middle. Faith, as Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I'll say that again so you've got it in your mind about what faith is. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's trusting God that in Jesus we have our Saviour and King. It's trusting God about our future because in Jesus it's assured for us. There is trust and confidence in things we cannot see in faith. On the other end of the spectrum is not doubt, it's unbelief. And unbelief is a deliberate, intentional decision not to trust in the promises of God, to reject Jesus and the hope that he brings. Doubt is in the middle. It's not unbelief, but it raises questions over faith. You have questions, uh, you're not as sure or certain as Hebrews 1 says faith is. You can end up in either way once you wrestle with doubt. It's a bit like being engaged. When you're engaged before you get married, there's a period, I'm I'm told, when you can doubt. I didn't, Jamie. Uh, Look, if Jeff can say happy birthday to Liz, then I can assure my wife there was no doubt during our engagement period. But I'm told that for mere mortals, there is sometimes doubt involved in the engagement period. And you can, because of the weight of what you're doing and the lack of certainty about what the future will hold. And you can think, well, is this the right person? Am I making the right decision? Am I rushing into things? Now, if you remain engaged and get married, it's been doubt. If you are so worried you break off the engagement and stop it, it's ended into unbelief. Do you see the kind of the way that it works? Doubt, I don't think, is sinful in and of itself. But it is serious. It can become something more. It can lead to unbelief. It's not what we want for each other because doubt always brings negative consequences for a Christian in their life and it can lead to something more serious. Doubt dulls joy. As Christians, one of the great blessings we have is we have a joy because we know God and we know who he is. When we doubt, it dulls that joy. Doubt blunts assurance. One of the great truths for Christians is we can know who we are and where we're going but doubt blunts that assurance doubt can lead closer and closer to unbelief so although I don't think it's sinful in and of itself a doubt it is serious so that's the problem of doubt we've seen the loneliness the reality the problem of doubt fourthly the causes of doubt now it's clear that the main cause of doubt is we can't see it And we're broken people in a fallen world and we sometimes struggle to trust the God who's spoken to us. But on top of that, there are other things that can cause doubt and cause it to be bigger or worse for us at different times in our lives. One is lack of evidence. We can't see God like we can see visibly other people and other things. We can't prove certain parts of our faith like we can scientifically prove other things in this world. And as human beings that want to understand things with our mind, we want answers. And although one of the wonderful things about Christianity, and sometimes one of the things we underplay about Christianity, is it has an historical basis. There's lots of things that we can look for evidence and weigh up, weigh up things and sift through the, uh, everything to work out what we believe. We don't have answers for all of it. Why does a good, all-powerful God allow suffering? Although there are things we can say on that, we don't have a full, definitive answer, which is a knockdown down 
We can't understand properly the Trinity, three and one, yet one, but three. The incarnation, the question of evil. Some doubts come because of a lack of information and evidence. But other times, doubts are less about evidence and more about feelings and personal circumstances. We go through a hard time, uh, we're struggling in a particular area, and we think, God, what's going on? What are you doing? And we have doubts, and it's not so much about evidence, but just what we're wrestling with at that particular time. There are some times in our lives when our experience seems to be different from what we expected because we think God would do this or be like that, and we say, what's going on there? And it leads to questions and doubts. And these can be some of the most serious doubts because it's not just in our heads, but in our hearts as well, mixed with feelings. I think sometimes it's not just about uh, circumstances, it's personalities. Although I think all Christians, all of us are plagued by doubts at some uh, sometimes in our lives, there are some personalities, I think, that suffer with this more. Those who overthink things and always question and analyse can be given more to doubts than those who just accept a little more. Some who are down on themselves, perhaps they've never received love from someone else and they doubt that God could possibly love them. Someone who's harder on themselves and thinks less of themselves. Perhaps they've never had someone they could trust and then they struggle to trust God and doubts is something for them that's a, a bigger wrestle. And the reason I'm pointing this out, the reason it's good to recognise that there are different, there can be different causes uh, to doubt is that the correct diagnosis will help choose the right course of treatment. This is always the way, whether it's medical or spiritual or emotional. If you know properly what the problem is, you'll know better how to fix it. If the cause of someone doubting is uh, they find it hard to believe that God can love them, the answer is probably not, providing lots of historical evidence. But if the problem is they need more information, just telling them they're a good person and God loves them won't help them. It's good to work that out. Jude, in the book of Jude, verse 22, it's written, we should be merciful to those who doubt. I love that verse because it shows how difficult and dangerous doubt is. So if we're to be merciful to those who doubt, when we're seeking to, when it's not us that's struggling with doubt, but a brother or sister in Christ, we should try and work out where the doubts are coming from so that we can help them best, and that will be us being merciful to them. So we've looked at the loneliness of doubt. We've looked at the reality of doubt, seen that it affects all of us. We've seen what doubt is, the problem of doubt. We've seen that it's not unbelief, but it's not faith, and therefore, but it can be serious. And we've just looked at some of the causes of it. <clears throat> I've only got a couple of minutes left, so in the time remaining, I just want to talk, talk about a couple of things we can keep in mind as we try to put doubt to death in our lives, as we seek to be people of faith, not doubt, more and more. So last point, the fifth of the points, the remedy for doubt. There's three broad areas, I think, to put into effort when you're struggling with doubt. Three things to keep in mind and try and do. I don't have time, unfortunately, to drill down into all the details, but I hope if I just give you the the broad categories, you'll be able to work out how best in your situation and circumstances to put it into effect. The three areas are draw close to God, draw close to God's people, and fix your eyes on Jesus. Draw close to God, draw close to God's people, and fix your eyes on Jesus. Draw close to God. That means 
Attempt to have the Spirit work in you so that you know that you're close to God uh, by reading the Bible and praying. Uh, This is the worst part of a sermon in this kind of way because you could say every week, read your Bible more and pray more. But this is so important here when it comes to doubt. Why? Because communication is the key to every relationship. And communication is talking and listening. And reading the Bible and prayer is talking and listening to God for the Christian. The primary way that he relates to us, the primary way uh, that he speaks to us is as we read the Bible. When we read the Bible, we are listening to God. When we pray, we are speaking to God. If we want to draw close to God, we read the Bible and pray. And so, friends, please pray, especially when you're in doubt. You'll be tempted to pull away from him. Don't. Pray to him. Pour your heart out to him. Raise your concerns. Ask your questions. Talk to him. Like David did in the Psalms. How long, O Lord? As I said last week, prayer is real, prayer works, and God delights in us praying to him. We see examples of it all the way through the scriptures as people express their doubts to God verbally. And as well as this being the right thing to do because it's effective and God answers prayers, it's good because it helps us admit there is a problem. Sometimes we have doubts and we don't even acknowledge to ourselves that we're doubting. But as soon as we've said them out loud to God in prayer, we're not pretending anymore. So it it helps us admit it. But more than that, we're taking uh, those doubts to the Creator, to the King, to our Father. So please pray. And alongside that, read the Bible. Get into the Word when you're going through doubts. And I know this is hard. I know all of us struggle with Bible study and Bible reading. I do myself. But there's no shortcuts. Make time for it. Get into it. Do the hard yards. We have to because this is where God primarily speaks to us. This is the vehicle the Spirit of God uses to teach us and strengthen us and challenge us and change us. And that's what we need when we're doubting. We spend so much time today on screens. We spend so much time at work, so much time in all these different areas of life. Are we in the Word listening to God speak? listening to his truth instead of our feelings, learning his ways instead of the way of the world, getting answers from him, not just asking questions from us, being reminded of who he is and what he's done and what he's promised. When you and I doubt, we want to draw close to God, praying more fervently, in the word more diligently, because that's us talking to him and listening to him, growing closer to him, and that'll help with our doubts. So draw close to God. Secondly, draw close to God's people. Do you know what all of us do when we doubt? What we do is we admit it to our brothers and sisters in Christ and we make extra effort to be with them so that their example can encourage us, so that their advice can affect us and their lives can inspire us. Oh, wait, that's not what we do. What we normally do when we have doubts and it's causing a problem in our relationship with God is we pull away from our church family. We don't go as regularly to our Bible study or church. Happens all the time because we don't like being around other Christians because we know there's something wrong with us and we think we're the only one and we don't really want to talk about it and uh, they might make us feel guilty or no one else knows what we go through and so we pull away bit by bit and it's the exact wrong thing to do because these are the times when we actually need each other more. These are the times we need to be speaking into each other's lives. I need you at times to carry me when I'm low. That, not, you know, that would be a big ask, but to rebuke me when I'm foolish, 
to comfort me when I'm tired, to stand alongside me when I doubt. If you're having doubts, share them with your prayer group. Talk about them at your Bible study group. Uh, have a conversation about them with a Christian friend. If you haven't got any of those, come and see one of the staff, And but we need each other. And then you can spend time with them in prayer and Bible reading and talking it through. The truth is we need each other. Draw close to God. Draw close to God's people. Lastly, fix your eyes on Jesus. The danger with doubts is we become more and more introspective because it's our questions that are driving us. I don't know if I can believe this and I'm not sure where I am with that. And then we think, well, can God really love me and does he forgive me and can I be sure of anything? And it makes us lose joy, it makes us lose assurance, it pulls us away from all the goodness that faith brings and it can possibly lead to unbelief. And the remedy to it is to take your eyes off yourself and fix them on Jesus Christ. You have a wonderful saviour. You have a powerful king. You have the one who came full of grace and truth. The one good shepherd who knows his sheep by name and lays down his life for them. And the more we look at him as the object of our faith, the less we will worry about whether our faith is strong enough. Because we'll just look at him and go, we're good. Knowing him and what he's like will help us in areas where we don't have the answers. I may not know all the answers, but gee, he's good. I feel confident. The more we know Jesus, the more we know his majesty, his grace, his kindness, his power, his authority, the better we will cope with doubt. And the more our eyes are on Jesus, the more we will know we're not alone as we battle with doubt because he's got hold of us, he's leading us, he's bringing us home. So draw close to God, draw close to God's people and fix your eyes on Jesus. The good news is, Doubt does not rule you out. But it is serious. It is a struggle. And so let's try and understand it better. Let's share it with each other. Let's help each other with it. And if we're struggling, let's do something about it. The good news is we can. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to think about a topic which I'm sure affects each of us and maybe affecting some of us particularly right now. Lord, we pray that more and more we would be sure of the things we can't see, certain of the future that lies ahead of us because we trust you all the more. But the reality is that in this fallen world we will go through times of doubt. Father, when they come, I pray that we would draw close to you, draw close to your people and fix our eyes on our wonderful Saviour and King, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.